Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. So this morning, I said last week, we are finishing up with the, the series on Victorious and I changed my mind. So it's not that I lied last week. I was just unsure last week of what was going to happen and uh, what God was still going to just uh, minister to me in this coming week. And so I decided to uh, maybe do one more, one more session of Victorious. So last week we looked at the victory that transforms everything or this victory that Christ accomplished for us transforms everything. If you missed the teaching, please get it on SoundCloud. It will hugely bless you. And um, so I'm not going to get into too much of that this morning, but basically just ask this one question of, does your life look radically different from after you've received Christ to how it looked before you received Christ? And if it doesn't look radically different, we have to ask ourselves the question of why doesn't it look radically different? Because throughout the Bible, we just see examples of radical different change, radical change in the believers, specifically the disciples, the followers of Christ, um, the apostles, for example, all of them, radical change, radical transformation. And so uh, we looked at that last week. And this morning we are actually going to look at just something that helps color that in for us a little bit and helps us uh, um, kind of prepare ourselves more so for that radical change that we desire to see. So this morning we're looking at cultivating an environment for victory. Cultivating an environment for victory. And um, if we consider some of the, the great victories in warfare, for example, um, where especially when underdog or the, the, the what do you call it, the, um, the, 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 the one who all odds were stacked against them, but they beat the, the opponent, because there's many examples like that. If you just go and Google, um, there's some amazing stories of history of war where just someone beat their opponent against all odds. Like it didn't make sense. It was, it was a radical defeat. It was a great victory recorded in, uh, in, in the history for us. And all of those victories had, had something in common. The environment, the setting was perfect. If, if something was off, if, if something changed, if the weather changed, or if this changed, it would have been a completely different story. And so our environments plays a large role as to whether we're going to see the victory, experience the victory that Christ accomplished for us. And what environments am I talking about? We're talking about the heart. Because it's an issue of heart. Let's get to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we see the, 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 the aspect of our heart and God addressing and, <coughs> excuse me, God emphasizing the heart so much throughout, um, throughout the Bible and uh, that's why victory in the believer's life is directly linked to the state of our hearts. So 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by the appearance of, or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The God, God looks at our hearts. God is concerned with our hearts. So we have to understand that um, this is not talking about your physical heart, just by the way. It's not talking about the, the, whether your cardiovascular like a, um, movement is, is, is good or if it's bad. It's not talking about any heart issues physically and uh, scientifically speaking, but it's about the belief system because our heart is 
is where our belief system is found. You can know something intellectually here in your mind and uh, emotionally have a, a kind of experience, but uh, who of you have experienced that your emotions go up and down? What you are really passionate about today might be very different from a year from now. For example, everyone is pretty passionate about rugby right now. That wasn't necessarily passionate about rugby maybe uh, um, two months ago. Some of you are as passionate and it hasn't changed a lot, but for some of us it's changed a little bit. Like uh, you, you've become a little bit more passionate about rugby since it's the World Cup. And so, case in point, our, our, our emotions go up and down and what we value right now might change a little bit or uh, what we are passionate about now might change a little bit. So it goes beyond that. It's a matter of our belief system, the, the innermost desires and corners of our hearts. So that is why God says that He is always concerned with our hearts. Matthew 22 verse 36 and 37 says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? So here's a religious a Pharisee asking Jesus, what is the great commandment? And there's a lot of context to this, which we're not going to get into this morning, but just want to emphasize on, on Jesus' answer. And he says, Jesus said unto him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, here we see the great commandment uh, of the Ten Commandments, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. This is really profound because the greatest commandment, God, we've, we've even if you consider the Ten Commandments and you, and you start off with this one, it's amazing how we see further in the Bible, within the, 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 the context of the Bible, Jesus gives us the, the summary of all of this and he and in this context, he goes on to speak about the second is like an unto you, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then under these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Or um, other translations communicate under these two, these two commandments summarize all of the law and the prophets. The law talking about the five books of Moses and then all of the prophetic writings um, after that. And this is amazing, this is profound, because within this one commandment, to love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, lies so much significance. Because God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the creator of you and me, deemed this as vitally important. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Because it is within all of our hearts to love God, firstly. But we need to understand where that love comes from. It's not a matter of doing and trying, but it's a matter of responding. Because it's always responding. It's always Him first and then us responding. That is what the gift of salvation is all about. By grace through faith. Faith is a response. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says that by grace you are saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, but it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the gift of grace was given. He, he first gave, and by faith we respond to what is given to us. So we are saved by grace through faith. And here God says that this is the first and the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God. And then everything else is summarized by this. Everything hangs on this. Because if we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, life will start to make more sense. But again, it's in light of not doing and performing. But when we step into this arena, 
It's because we've responded to his love. Because first John writes and he says to us in chapter 4 that we love him because we are so amazing, because we come to church every Sunday and we pray often. No, we love him because he first loved us. You love God not because you are amazing. You love God because you've responded to his love for you. You might love him because you think you're amazing. You might love him because you fill in the blank. But I guarantee you that love for God that you have will fail. I'm not a prophet of doom and gloom. But your love for God will fail if it's not in response to his love for you. That's not etiology. That's the Bible. That's what the Bible teaches us. Even when we're unfaithful, who remains faithful? Him, God, remains faithful. He is constant. And so it's vitally important to understand that this great command that hinges on our hearts and our love for God is so important, but it comes from responding to His love for us. Romans 2 verse 29 says, No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. That's a challenging statement for, uh, uh, for, for various reasons. A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. A true, circumc- a true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. Again, our hearts is where everything takes place. Everything takes root from the heart. Everything is birthed from the heart, from your belief system. Everything that you are currently valuing, everything that you are currently doing, the decisions you are making, is all a result of a belief system. What you've planted into your heart. The current state of your life is all a result of a belief system. Now, yes, things might have happened to you. Bad circumstances, getting fired, X, Y, and Z. You fill in the blank. But your response to those things was still a choice from you, and it came from a belief system. For example, if someone scratched your car in the parking lot... Whatever your belief system determined whether you scratched their car back or whether you just uh, blessed them and said, thank you, Jesus, for for your love and your goodness and uh, that my insurance will pay out. And even if you don't have insurance, that car will burn one day and uh, you're not going to mind in heaven. That's That's the ultimate reality to every problem. How much is this going to affect me in light of eternity? We need to often remind ourselves of how much is this challenge and this problem going to have affected my life in light of eternity. Obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. So again, the hearts that our hearts and the environment of our hearts is something that by the grace of God and by the the leading of the Holy Spirit. He wants to cultivate. He's not just telling us, hey, go and tend to your hearts and figure it out on your own. 
Now he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us cultivate our hearts, help us shape our belief system. He wants to teach us, he wants to remind us, he wants to, to guide us. But oftentimes we're just busy with our own guiding that we don't have uh, time to, to be guided by God. Right? We're so busy with our own lives, leading our own lives, and then um, we're asking God to bless what we've chosen to, to pick up. Versus asking Him, what should we pick up knowing that it is blessed? Right? That's a big difference. Okay, I'm going to do this, this, and the next thing, and God, will you please bless this day? Do you know what happens when you when you're choosing to do things and afterwards ask God to bless those things, the challenge comes in that you become doubtful of whether it is going to be blessed or whether this is going to work out because it wasn't started off from this foundation of God is leading you to do this so it means that it will work out. Do you understand that there's more confidence and boldness knowing that God has led me to do this it is going to work out. Even, it doesn't matter how tough it's going to be, it's going to work out because God led me to do this. Versus, okay, yo, I think I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. Oh, yo, I forgot. God, will you please bless this? And you're like, you become doubtful. It becomes more challenging. Because just because you're a child of God and just because you're asking God to bless something doesn't mean that it's just going to be blessed. Let's use a very extreme example. God, please bless this, this relationship that I have with this other lady at this um, coffee shop because she's quite pretty and Catherine hasn't been that nice to me this past week and I just want to spend some time with a, a pretty lady and feel good about myself for a moment. Please just bless that. I know that's a streaming example and it sounds silly, but the case still remains. Just because we're children of God and we're asking God to bless something doesn't mean it's going to be blessed. It needs to be aligned with the Word of God. And so the Holy Spirit wants to help us experience heart transformation because from heart transformation comes life transformation. It starts in the heart. It always starts in the heart. It's not about behavior modification. You can try and change your behavior and you'll do a pretty good job at it. Legalism and religion has shown us that people do pretty good on their own terms and trying to perform and, and keep, best, uh, keep up appearances and put their best suit forward, but then eventually fail. And eventually the, the, the skeletons comes out of the cupboard. Do you know what I've done? I've flung out my, my, my cupboard doors and I've revealed all of my skeletons to, to the people close to me. So the devil doesn't have any opportunity to come and open up my, my cupboard and have skeletons fall out. That seems pretty scary to some of you, man. Like, I've got a few things that like, I haven't shared with someone before and I'm afraid what are they going to think of me? Do you know what God thinks of you? If you know what God thinks, thinks of you, it doesn't matter what man thinks of you. So we need to become convinced of what God thinks of me so that I can be confident and, and vulnerable with the people around me and regardless of how they're going to look at me maybe afterwards or the risk involved for that, I still know that God is faithful, He is good and by me sharing or talking with someone and seeking counsel, I've at least stepped out in faith and acknowledged that 
I believe what God thinks of me is greater than whatever anyone else thinks of me. Because ultimately, that's the only moment and the only way to truly demonstrate that as a belief system. Right? Because up until sharing with someone something really challenging that you've gone through, and I'm not just saying someone generally, please, uh, man, I'm not going to share the, the amounts of things that I've heard and uh, how ca- counsel people through, but nothing you'll tell me will shock me. Why am I saying that? Not because I'm amazing, but because God in me is amazing. Christ in me is amazing. And my ability to filter through whatever you tell me is supernatural. I've gone through stuff and I've worked through stuff and I've uh, uh, um, taken the same approach in my life. So I'm not just inviting you to do something that I haven't done myself. Like I said, I've flung out my cupboards. Catherine knows everything. Shay knows everything. Marma knows everything. I don't care. Firstly, because I know who God thinks about me. But secondly, I know that those people love me. And when I shared with them, man, just the weight that comes off of you. You you dismantle and you disarm the enemy and the foothold that he wants to have in your life by bringing something to light, shining Jesus upon it, and inviting the body of Christ to be the body of Christ, ministering to one another. None of that was in my notes again, so that was for someone I trust the Holy Spirit is ministering to you and, and, and comforting you in firstly that what he thinks of you is is more important than what anyone else will think of you, but then also the invitation to to be vulnerable and allow the body to minister to you. Proverbs 4 verse 23. We need to understand that heart change starts at salvation, but then from there it's a process of growing in, experiencing that salvation. Proverbs 4 23 says, So above all, so above all means first of all, the first thing. Above all, first of all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. What does it mean to guard the affections of our heart? We, we see the word guard and we oftentimes think, okay, cool, I need to guard my heart. So then we, we, we've been hurt in a, in a relationship and then you're like, okay, I need to guard my heart and cut that person out of my life. Let's think about Jesus for a moment, right? It's good to consider Jesus. Like whenever, when, whenever in doubt, consider Jesus. Okay? You're all with me. Whenever in doubt, let's consider Jesus because Jesus led the perfect example, Right? Some of you aren't convinced. His example was perfect. Go to the Bible, you find it there. Jesus led a perfect example. And so, in light of that approach, let's guard our hearts. Someone hurts me, I'm going to cut them off so they don't hurt me anymore. Jesus, okay? There's a moment Jesus decided he's going to wash his disciples' feet. You guys know the story? Who was part of the disciples whose feet he washed? A guy named Judas. Anyone know Judas, his story, how his life ended up? 
Not really good. He sold Jesus for uh, a few uh, coins of silver and then ended up uh, um, doing something stupid. Then we also have Peter, whose feet Jesus also washed. And Peter ended up denying knowing Jesus three times. And then the rest of the disciples, who Jesus also washed their feet, at the time of uh, before his crucifixion or leading up to, they all ran away. Now, if Jesus took the approach that some people choose to take in light of the scripture, guarding my heart against people who are going to hurt me or who have hurt, hurted me, to cut them out, why did Jesus wash their feet? Surely Jesus knew Judas was going to do what he did, Peter was going to do what he did, and all of the others also did what they're going to do. Did Jesus know? Yes, he knew. And so that approach is not the invitation from the Word. Guarding our hearts is about guarding it from becoming hardened to people. Because your battle is not with the person. Your battle is against flesh and blood. Or not flesh and blood, but principality, spirits. The devil in operation behind the people. And so we need to fight the right enemy, which is not people. Amen? Proverbs 4.23 from the New Living Translation says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So again, this, this matter of victory, this, this, this topic of victory, it's of utmost importance to understand what is the condition of my heart. Because the condition of your heart is going to determine whether you're going to experience the victory that Christ came to accomplish for you. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The direction of your life is going the way that it is going because of what is going on in your heart. Again, like I said, things might have happened to you and uh, people might have done specific things to you, but you still get to choose how you're going to respond to those things and how you're going to move forward from those things by God's grace, through His grace, to reign victorious over what anyone has done to you, said to you, will do to you, will say to you. And again, I'm the, I'm not the best example. I know I'm a example. I know because I know my life, right? I know the decisions that I've made, the, the things that I've gone through and how people have tra uh, treated me and all of those things. So I know it's possible. By example, by experience, I know that it is possible to, to protect your heart, to guard it against becoming bitter towards people, to become hardened towards people for decisions they're making, for things that they don't do, for things that people are doing to you, that you get to respond differently by God's grace, guarding our hearts. But I love what uh, the Passion Translation, it says, guarding your heart, guard the affections of your heart. So a good question to ask is, what are you allowing to affect your heart? Guard the affections of your heart. What are you allowing to affect your heart? What are you allowing to direct your heart? What is pulling at your heart? What influences your heart? Because each one of us has to determine what are those things. For me, for example, I'm, I'm purposing and choosing to and I'm not perfectly doing this, but I'm choosing to allow the Word of God 
to affect my heart. To determine what my heart values, what my heart wants to do. And by doing that, I can tell you, because this is the word, that your life will be better for it. You'll experience more victory for allowing the word of God to shape the affections of your heart. Another thing to consider, and we're living in a world where there's so much focus on, on emphasizing and encouraging having a victim mentality. Right? This whole world is like, like just, just own it. Just, you've got all of these problems, just like, just own it. Just be who you are and be the problem person, be a victim, and it's this person's fault, and it's this culture, and it's that culture, and it's and just encouraging this victim mentality, which is co- completely contrary to what Jesus did, accomplished victory for us. Meaning that what someone does to you doesn't need to determine who you are. Just because you are born in a specific culture or a specific time doesn't mean you have to go by that mold, be, the, uh, be, be shaped by that culture. We get to choose and determine how we're responding to everything in our lives. Are you going to remain a victim of other people's bad decisions and this fallen world, or are you going to choose the victory Christ provided for you and start reigning from that place? It's a decision we get to make. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But let's also just consider asking this question, how does this, this uh, guarding and the affections of our hearts, how does it look practically? Like I said, one of the practical components to that is allowing the word to, to, to determine and affect your heart, allowing the, 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 the message of Christ specifically, because you can get into the word and miss the message of Christ completely. Who of you have ever gone to the word and you've missed the message of Christ while studying the word? Can I see a few honest people? It's good. So, so we need to understand that going to the Word and allowing the Word of God to cultivate and, and start affecting our hearts, it needs to be in light of the message of Christ specifically because that is the purpose of the Word of God, the message of Christ, right? Outside of the message of Christ, the Word doesn't have a purpose. See a few blank faces. Outside of the message of Christ, the the word from Genesis to Revelation, outside of the message of Christ, if you take the message of Jesus out of the Bible, like, you have no Bible. Can I just get a few head nods that you guys are agreeing with me? Right? So, the, 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 the cornerstone of the Bible is the message of Christ. Jesus is called the cornerstone. And so, when we're talking about cultivating and, and creating this environment of, of health, an environment where victory can reign, it needs to be in line with the message of Christ, the Word of God. And a beautiful illustration, like I said now, is, is if, we, if we're talking about guarding our hearts, we can also consider gardening our hearts, Right? Because gardening and guarding of our hearts is very similar. It's a, it's, a, it's a great illustration of if you consider a garden and what is happening in your garden, 
Things don't just happen, right? If you want to plant veggies, you need to go and buy a veggie seed and plant them in your garden. And then you need to give them water. And then you need to check out for weeds and all of these things. And so gardening is very, very similar to this, this picture of guarding a heart. So it's not, guarding a heart is never just a, a cutting out of. But it's tending to. And it's, even if there are weeds, you don't just kind of cut everything out and start over from fresh. Right? That you'll just stunt growth so much by taking that approach. So it's being intentional and, and looking at the, the detail of the heart or the, your garden. And wherever there are weeds, we need to be, be confident enough to, to take those weeds out. And those weeds aren't always the cares of this world. There's a seedfulness of riches and the lust for other things. Some of those weeds are just belief systems that we've formed up until now because of culture or because of whatever you fill in the blank, because of traditions. So we need to ask ourselves this question, is these things that I've got in my heart, that I value and that is affecting my heart and everything that I'm doing, are they weeds that I need to deal with? That's stunting growth, stunting victory from our life. Second Corinthians 10 verse 3 to 5 and we're coming to a land and, and this really the second part of the, the message or the, the last part of the message is really such an important topic in light of the victory that Christ came to provide for us for because a lot of Christians aren't experiencing victory in this specific arena of their lives because they haven't made this, this, this shift in their hearts with regards to being victorious over sin. And it all boils down to having a Christ consciousness. What does that mean? 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 to 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So casting down of imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing it into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What does all of that mean? In layman's terms, it is if it opposes Christ, if it opposes the victory that Christ came to accomplish for us, then don't take it. Don't plant it in your hearts. If you've already planted it in your hearts, take it out. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> because you're the one that's the custodian, the gardener. Not God. God is not going to guard in your heart. I'm not going to guard in your heart. I'm giving you word here this morning and I'm sowing seed, but you determine whether you're receiving the seed and planting it into your hearts. And you're determining if there are things in your heart that you've planted, whether you're going to take them out or not. Sometimes it's difficult to uproot something, right? Because roots have taken place. And so in the uprooting, if you think about it practically with a garden as well, 
sometimes when you've uprooted something, like there's a little bit of a void there, right? There's a, no, a little bit of a, a funny looking hole. But you know, after you decide, okay, cool, now I feel I kind of cover this up a little bit or replant something else. And so it's uncomfortable at times. But when God invites us to, and if we see something that needs uprooting from our, from, our, from our lives, and we know that it's from God, who of you know that it is for your benefit? Some of you aren't convinced, and that's fine. That's why we're here on Sundays, and why we get into the Word. It's to, to become convinced of what the Word teaches, right? And to study things out, and to ask questions, and to investigate for ourselves. So we need to choose to value and to prioritize and to magnify the things that Christ came to accomplish for us and start to devalue the things that are opposing that and what we've come to accept as normal, come to allow to affect our hearts. Hebrews 10 verse 1 to 3. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, and not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again. Say again and again. So it was year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshippers would have been purified once for all time. And their feelings of guilt, say guilt. guilt. Who of you have uh, had feelings of guilt this past week? Okay, it's good. It's good to feel guilty in the sense that uh, you shouldn't feel innocent when you're guilty, right? If you've done something silly or you've uh, made a mistake, you shouldn't just be like, oh well, I guess that just happened. No, there, there should be remorse in your heart because you've got a new spirit. A spirit of holiness, a spirit of righteousness. So when doing unrighteousness, there should be a conflict. If there's no conflict, come, let's pray, receive the spirit of God so there can start being a conflict in your heart. Okay, but it goes on to say, that have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. Okay, God doesn't, this is, a, um, this is really important, or let's just jump down to verse uh, 14 quickly in Hebrews, same chapter. Uh, for by a single offering, so it's talking about the sacrificial system and how the sacrifices year after year continue to remind the, the comers unto and the people bringing the sacrifices of their guilt, of their sin. Verse 14, for by a single offering he has forever completely cleansed and perfected those who are consecrated and made holy. And also the Holy Spirit adds his testimony to us in confirmation of this. For having said, this is the agreement that, will, uh, set, or that I will set up and conclude with them after those days, says the Lord. I will imprint my laws upon their hearts and inscribe them on their minds and on the innermost thoughts and understanding. He then goes on to say, And their sins and their law-breaking I'll remember no more. Now where there is absolute remission, forgiveness, and cancellation of the penalty of these sins and law-breakings, there is no longer any offering made to atone for sin. Now this is very important. Jesus came to be the one sacrifice and once for all time. 
So there's no more sacrifices. The sacrificial system has been brought to a close, to an end. The question is this. How much sacrificing do you still want to do? How much consciousness of sin do you still have in your life? Because the sacrificial system that was brought about a consciousness. And when I'm saying consciousness, I'm not talking about a realization of this was wrong. I'm talking about being more aware of the sin that you are committing and holding on to and not forgetting. Versus a consciousness of Christ, the perfect sacrifice once and for all, magnifying and expressing thanksgiving for that and moving on from the piece of stupid that you did. Because I do pieces of stupid often. <laughs> I just, uh, I prefer not even using the word sin because I don't want to be conscious of sin. I don't want to glorify sin. So sin is a very like a, a word that I don't even go to because it's not about that. Too often times we're so conscious and aware of sin that we've forgotten about Christ. What did He do? He came to be the last sacrifice. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So He's taken away this power of, but we don't realize it. We don't acknowledge it. So guess what? You're still being held by it. Not because God didn't accomplish a good work, because His work was perfect. And there's still a lot that is going to happen, and that still needs to happen in light of uh, just receiving, obviously, uh, renewed bodies and minds and all of these things. But there's something in this, this picture of guarding our hearts and being conscious of Christ and what He fulfilled for us, what He completed for us, and how He came to be that sacrifice to take away all consciousness of sin. Being more aware of what He accomplished for us. Being more aware of how He died in our stead and He removed our sinful nature. Because that's another thing that a lot of Christians don't understand that yes, you might be sinning, but you don't have a sinful nature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. The old has gone, the new has come. That all that has gone is not Just the, the forgiveness of your past sins, your actions of sins. Because ultimately every sin that you ever committed was a future tense sin in light of Jesus dying thousands of years ago. Right? So he already died for your future tense sins when he died. Right? Because none of us lived when he died. You guys get it? And so that is not in light of the acts of sin because oftentimes we read about sin in the Bible and we consider acts of sin versus the nature of sin. Because you can change your act of sin very well and cover it up to a degree as well. But if you don't have a change of nature, you'll never ultimately be free from the acts. And when you've received the change of nature, the other problem is where we kind of covering this morning is you need to have a change of heart. And yes, to a degree your heart is 
started on the process of change. But too many people are leaving, leaving it kind of, we, we, we receive Christ and we receive that, that new nature, then we kind of just leave it there and then we wait for, for heaven to come. And we don't allow transformation to take place in our hearts and we get into the Word and we cultivate our hearts and we, we dig into these things and choose to have our, our minds be renewed by the Word so that what we believe about ourselves is no longer a matter of I'm just a sorry old sinner saved by grace. No, you were a sorry old sinner. You were saved by grace and now you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are holy, blameless. You are called for purpose. You are called to bear fruit. Why? Because you've got a change of root. But you need to come to believe it. You need to become oh, uh, 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 persuaded by that. Because again, I can testify of this be, before I, I came to know these truths, my life was a roller coaster of, of sinning and up and down and feeling worthy and feeling unworthy and making mistakes and remaking the same mistakes and over and over the same old story. Round and round it goes. And then I became aware of the nature of Christ and my oneness with Him to the degree that Man, sin no longer has a hold over me. Because Jesus overcame. And guess what? I'm more than overcome. Why? Because the Bible says so. And the Bible is true. The Bible will remain true. And when we come to believe these things about ourselves and we're more aware of Christ in me, then it starts to actually affect everything that I do. Let's stand together. I always love using this, this analogy in light of this, this Christ consciousness and, and not being sin conscious. Hebrews 10 verse 17 says that, as, uh, And your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more. Your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more. So if God is not remembering my sins and my iniquities, why are you remembering your sins and your iniquities? Remembering your sins and your iniquities is not going to help you break free from your sins and your iniquities. But remembering Christ, because that is what we see in the New Testament and the epistles specifically, there's so much instruction to remember what we've received, to not forget what we've received, to stir one another unto what we've received. Because it's in focusing on and guarding our hearts and allowing Christ in me, my new nature, to affect my heart. The Word of God and the message of the Gospel and the reality of Christianity to become the driving force of my heart and what I'm going through and how I'm making decisions that we start to actually reign victorious and experience the victory of Christ. And so a lot of sin consciousness versus, again, that Christ consciousness is... Too often we fall into this camp of like, I'm just a sinner and, and I'm a sinner because this is what I'm doing, so clearly I'm a sinner. No, stop and think about this for a moment. Your actions, yes, might be sinning. But your actions don't determine your nature. Because in the same way that a good 
Muslim person doing good things can't change their nature, so too the Christian who's had a change of nature, the bad things that you do cannot change your very nature. It's the same thing. Man cannot change our nature. It's impossible. Only by receiving the gift of Christ you can receive a changed nature, a new nature. And so when you are still acting in a specific way, it just means that you don't yet believe what you've become. For example, my sons like being dinosaurs, acting like dinosaurs nowadays, and they love dinosaurs and lions and all sorts. So they're acting like dinosaurs and they're acting like lions and oftentimes they're acting like dogs as well. Does that mean that I've got dogs and dinosaurs and lions in my house? No, I just have kids that act like lions and dinosaurs and dogs in my house. So just because they're acting like that doesn't mean that they are. Just because you're acting like a sinner doesn't mean that you are. Stop thinking that your actions have got a greater effect on your life and what Jesus has come to accomplish for you. Your actions cannot undo what Christ has come to accomplish for you. Start believing who you are. Start believing who God says that you are. Allowing that to affect your heart more than anything else. And before you know it, that belief system, that seed planted in your heart, cultivating that truth in your hearts and in your lives, will be the driving force for you to experience victory from every sin that you are struggling with today. Money back guarantee. Come and ask me. I've got testimonies. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.ca